This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this interview. Uh, There's a lot going on in markets at the moment. We've got uh, the potential for a bubble bursting. There was a lot of headlines about that. We've got earnings season uh, kicking off. We've got Plenty of things happening, and we're joined by a guest who has his finger on the pulse and is going to help us understand what's going on. Finger on the pulse, and for those that came to our live event last year where we spoke about the alcohol uh, industry, this guest absolutely lit up the floor. Yeah, honestly, Bryce was disappointed afterwards because he was like, this guest stole my thunder. (laughs) (laughs) It is our pleasure to welcome Mark LaMonica to the studio. Mark, welcome. Thank you. I mean, that's a lot of pressure, by the way, that he started (laughs) off. And I will say that there you gave me beer. (laughs) True. So here, nothing. We were just talking about water, it, but true. it is 8.30 in the morning, but we can it run is. out and get you a beer it if is, you want one. Is. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. We'll see what happens. So Mark runs the individual investor business at Morningstar and uh, pumps out plenty of really interesting content. And we're going to cover a lot of that today. We're going to be talking about earnings season and, and what Mark's seeing there. Having a look at the broader market environment as well, because as Ren just said, there's so much happening. And then uh, take a look at a couple of companies that uh, Morningstar have their eyes on as well to unpack uh, what the analysts are thinking around News Corp, Ansel and AVR Corp. So, and then we'll close out with bold predictions. Yeah. Yes. So let's kick in. All right, let's do it. So Mark, uh, we are in the middle of ASX earnings season. Well, at the start of ASX earnings season, we've seen uh, earnings season in the US overseas. From the first couple of weeks in Australia, uh, what are you seeing? What have you learned? Yeah. So the interesting thing, and I'll give a little bit of sort of the Morningstar methodology here. So our analysts are calculating a fair value on every share that we cover. So it's what they believe it's worth. So they create a discounted cash flow model. And you know, we don't have to go through all the detail, but basically they are like any other analyst predicting the future, right? So at the end of the day, as shareholders, we don't really care what happened in the past. It's all about what happens in the future. But of course, the past is the only thing we have 
to inform what we're going to think about the future, right? So it's one of those things where like once earnings are released, it's kind of too late, right? That's already happened, but it informs our analyst models. So basically, if they're surprised, they'll change their fair value. If it's kind of just what they expect, then their fair value stays the same. So it's early in earnings season, but I thought I'd go through a couple fair value changes that yeah, they've made. Yeah. So REA Group increased it by 7%. So that, that company just can't do anything wrong. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and you know, we still think we still think it's overvalued, but obviously pretty impressed with what we saw there. Macquarie. So I know that that's you know a stock, stock of the year of the candidate, year, yes. right? Um, I'm listening. Yeah. So we increased our fair value eight percent there. And okay. Then, you know. Yeah. And then I think the uh, the biggest one so far, and we are early Grain Corp. We actually raised our fair value by eleven percent. So right. Okay. Yeah. So that's. That's what we've seen so far, but it is early. Most people will be familiar with REA and Macquarie. Grain Corp, probably less so. Is that just because food prices are so expensive and they'll benefit? At the- yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that's part of it. Obviously, we're seeing a lot of inflation, particularly in food. Mm. Um, so, you know, and that obviously, if they can pass on that, uh, pass on those any costs that they have, but pass it on and price rises, then of course, yeah, we're going to increase our fair value. So we're well and truly into earnings season overseas. Um, does this analysis translate to international markets as well? What are you seeing over there? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, same thing. So we have obviously a team of analysts here in Sydney that cover Australia, New Zealand shares, and then we've got teams around the world. So yeah, we've got a team in the US. U.S. obviously reports quarterly further along. You know, I think the big thing, the interesting thing about the U.S., and I'll, I'll talk about a couple of the things that we saw, but, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, the reaction of the market yeah. to earnings. <laughs> obviously, we'll talk about Meta and Amazon. So, you know, we have the biggest drop in market cap, then the biggest gain in market cap. And, you know, more than anything else, like to me, and I think we'll talk about this later, to me, it seems like the market's a little bit jumpy, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, there is nothing... Like, if we look at Meta, for example, like there is nothing, almost nothing a company can do to report earnings that should cause it to drop close to 25%, right? Like short of them coming out and saying, we think we're going to go bankrupt. So you're seeing a lot of volatility. And I think, you know, if you look at what our analyst did, he lowered his fair value by 1%. Really? Right? So, you know, and we all know, like I'm sure you guys have talked about, we all know sort of the headlines that Apple's privacy is Mm. eating into advertising, that TikTok's taking away, um, you know, younger social networkers from from their networks. But yeah, I think, you know, I personally don't own Meta, but I think if it's something that you're really interested in, you know, down 30% this year, seems like an opportunity, right? This is something we spoke about on Monday's episode and um, it just shows how jumpy the market is. Meta reported 1.93 billion daily active users versus 1.95 billion expectation from market. 2.91 billion, uh, so that was daily, 2.91 million monthly active users versus 2.95 versus expectation. And they had a guidance of 29 billion in rev for Q1 versus 30 billion in rev. So just missing and off the back of that got slammed 20% also because of obviously slowing user growth. No, no, no. First time in their history that users dropped, first time ever that daily active users was down, metaverse costs are, you know, more than, yeah, blowing out. 
yeah, TikTok uh, taking attention, Apple privacy uh, impacting them, impacting them more than Google in particular. Um, there's a lot of reasons. But Mark, yeah. the context here is uh, Bryce and I have a bet. Uh, he reckons <laughs> Meta will break through the trillion dollar mark. I don't think they ever will. So oh, okay. there's a little bit of vested interest here. In, uh, <laughs> I mean, it seems like every company is now worth more than a trillion yeah. dollars, right? So <laughs> honestly, Equity Mates is raising at a trillion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, but it's just interesting, right? Like, I mean, you, people are obviously extrapolating these drops like into the future, right? That this is some sort of mm. drop to zero, that they're the new MySpace or something like that. Like. I don't know. You yeah. know, the numbers are not that off. So. Yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah, that's the thing. But it's not just drops on the downside, uh, like Meta. Um, it's also jumps on the upside. Like well, you mentioned Amazon, but Google, uh, Snapchat. Snapchat was up like sixty percent in a day. Yeah, and I think it's the same. I think it's the same thing, right? Like I think the market's very unsure of what's happening, yeah. right? And obviously, we know everything going on with inflation, you know, what's happened in the past month or during January. And so I think the market's just really jumpy. So I think like anything that they sort of see as good news, they're like piling in. Anything that's perceived as bad news, people are fleeing. So it's mm. it's just, it's a strange environment. Like I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's just a sign that the market's unsettled. Mm. I kind of mm. love it. Uh, it's. I mean, it's good for us in the content game, yeah. Yeah. but it's yeah. also just good for us as investors. Like, this is where opportunity comes. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, and you see, and like, you see this all the time, right? If you go back and, you know, I think we'll talk more about the market, but if you go back and look at the market, right? Like, it's kind of been a passive investing game since, at the end of the day, since like the GFC, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and now you're starting to see people start coming out saying that this is a stock picking market, right? And and that's what like, you know, I know personally, when I talk about investing, I'm talking about my own personal investing. Obviously, when I talk about analysts, that's Morningstar, but you know, I'm trying to find things that are like temporarily undervalued, right? Mm -hmm. And these environments, it happens. So, you know, Facebook or Meta was not on my list, but if it was, and it dropped 30% in a month, like I would be all over that. So yeah. yeah. So let's um let's take a step back from I guess the day-to-day -day, uh news, the um, you know, the price movements, what what companies are reporting, and look at I guess the emerging narratives that are coming out of earnings season, both here and overseas. What are we learning about I guess the environment more generally um from from the last couple of months? Something that we look at a lot at Morningstar, we have this thing called a style box. So basically, this is a nine box grid that looks at the market from a market capitalization perspective, so big shares to small shares, and then a value to growth perspective. So basically, if you picture those nine boxes and you know look at returns in those boxes. So if we go back three months, so small cap growth shares in the US are down 25%. And that was kind of the first fall and they're down for the year too if you look at that mm. but also in the third cap or in the uh in the last three months so mid cap and large cap are down around 18 and a half percent and value is actually up yeah. and so you know i think kind of a narrative that we've seen and that people have obviously talked about a lot is you know People are moving away, particularly from sort of tech shares that aren't making money. Um, so we sort of see that, you know, small cap shares, smaller companies are newer companies, less, they're more risky companies, so they're less stable, have 
don't have the financial capacity of some larger companies. People are kind of fleeing those. And it'll just be interesting to see if this keeps up, right? Mm. It's three months. And, you know, we can't obviously think that this is a trend yet. I think it needs to be a little bit longer. But, you know, this is very different from what's happened since the GFC, where it's been growth has just outperformed, outperformed, outperformed. And, you know, if you think about it once again, over a three month period, the fact that value is up and up a little bit means it's outperforming by 20%, right? In the last three months. So I don't know. I think that's kind of interesting. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Those deep value investors who have had an absolutely miserable time over the last 12 years and now looking at lives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's like it's like every like, once in a while, because the same thing happened. The same thing happened like right after the dot-com crash. Every once in a while, people like bring them out and dust them off. And yeah. uh, it's like, go to town. Yeah. Go, uh, go find some yeah, stuff to yeah. buy. It feels like our Twitter feed, uh, the, all the value investors got very quiet and all the crypto investors got very loud. So <laughs> yeah. hopefully the crypto investors get a bit quieter and the value investors uh, take their Place. Yeah. Yeah. And I always think I always think it's funny, like, you know, obviously that's the way the industry works. But, you know, as individual investors, we can do both. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think people like feel like they need to go into these camps where I'm a passive investor, I'm an active investor, mm-hmm. I'm value, I'm growth. It's like just you can be all of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just 100%. look for different opportunities at different times. So, yeah. So before we move on to a bit of a discussion about broader market uh, and the environment, are there any companies that really particularly surprised the Morningstar analysts? No, I would say no. Like if you think about, and I know we're going to talk about, I know we're going to talk about, you know, sort of our ratings on a couple of different shares later. You know, really what our analysts do is they try to, in isolation, calculate a fair value for a share. And then simply our ratings are just as that price adjusts, right? So, you know, we talked about obviously Meta, for example, like we think it's pretty undervalued now. Um, We thought it was undervalued before um, their earnings came out. So, you know, really, I think that the surprises that, you know, I think we should have as investors is overreactions. Um, So both on the up and down, there's nothing profound that our analysts so far have changed the fair value. We talked about stuff. Yeah, there's been 10% changes and things like that, but nothing crazy. Let's touch on the broader market environment because, you know, Bryce and I were on holidays. Hopefully you were on holidays as well, early January, and it seemed like the sky was falling and, you know, we had big investors around the world uh, come out and say that, you know, the super bubble was bursting and, you know, the sky was falling yeah. in. Which Grantham says, you know, all the time. Yeah, I yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> I like him. I like him. I like reading his stuff. But uh, he's picked he's picked, the, he's picked a few bubbles. Well, he's picked the last two big bubbles. You can always pick a bubble if you're if always you saying there's a bubble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it feels like uh, the last week or two has been a little bit calmer, but, you know, that doesn't mean that everything's okay. So we want to we wanna sort of talk... I guess about what's happening in the broader market. And before this interview, you mentioned you'd been looking at the similarities and differences between today and early 2000s, which was the height of the tech bubble and the subsequent fall. So that obviously piqued our interest. So what have you learned? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that was my, um, you know, a lot older than you guys. Um, <laughs> Not that that was my <laughs> that was my first bear market. So I was in uni actually when that happened. So kind of right at the end of that run up. So 
you know, it's something that interests me. And, you know, I do think, at least in my lifetime, and I've looked back and looked at other bear markets as well, but, you know, I do think there are some similarities, as you mentioned, and, and also differences, which we'll get into. But obviously, you know, the late 90s, as everyone knows, was all about technology, right? So there was sort of this notion out there that, you know, the internet was going to change everything, which it obviously has. But I think the hype around what technology was going to do is it was going to just make us more productive forever. Um, so people were sort of extrapolating out these huge productivity gains forever, mm. right? And, you know, I sit there and look at the internet and half the time it makes me unproductive. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's what people thought, that there was this brighter future. And once again, like this whole, this time is different type of argument in anything having to do with the internet, right? Like the classic joke, of course, is pets.com. Mm. Like, you know, somehow that if you sell dog food over the internet, it's, you know, 500 times better than selling dog food out of a store. And, you know, we had the same thing, a lot of speculation. So some of the stuff we're seeing now, as we sort of cross from 99, so the market started falling in 2000. So interestingly enough, and I'm not saying anything about it, interestingly enough, we sort of crossed over the Fed didn't raise interest rates because they were worried about um, what would happen the Y2K problem. Oh, yeah. So like, okay, we're not going to raise. <laughs> it's so funny looking so back stupid. and thinking nothing about happened. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing happened. But they were worried about it. So they yeah. weren't going to raise interest rates. And then they started raising in March of 2000. Mm. And looks like they're going to start raising in March of this year. And that's you shouldn't read anything into that. It's just when they meet, right? But um, but anyway, yeah, that's sort of when the market peaked. And right before that, we had this huge surge of IPOs, right? So like all these companies that probably wouldn't have gone public in any other environment, um, but they're trying to take advantage of this. So we have all these IPOs. And, you know, at the end of the day, people wanted tech shares and sort of Wall Street and Silicon Valley got together and said, all right, you want tech shares? We'll give you some more companies to invest in. <laughs> and so all this stuff came out. And yeah, the market peaked March 2000. And then, yeah, the S&P went down 49% over the next two and a half years. Mm -hmm. NASDAQ went down 79%. Mm -hmm. And I do like, I do think that, you know, when people get very panicked, as you were saying, like in January, like, you know, I'm looking at your Facebook board, it was like a counseling session, mm -hmm. right? You know, and Rightfully so, but you know, I sit there. I'm like, the Nasdaq went down 79, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, that is a drop. Yeah. S and P. It took seven years to hit another high. Mm. Nasdaq took 15 years. And you know, the one other thing that I think is kind of interesting that's happened recently also is there was this huge surge of investor money individual investor money going into the market. So 2000, the year it started dropping, that was when there was this huge surge. So yeah, you know, 260 billion went into US equity funds that year. And that was up from 176 billion in 1999. And you know, what was this? This was buying the dip. You know, at the end of the day, right, the market started falling in March and the market doesn't fall, you know, it fell for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. But as it started going down, people started doubling down, right? Like there's this whole buy the dip mentality, which I think happened a lot in January as well. And, you know, the interesting thing is the insiders saw all these new tech companies that had gone public, they were all selling. So they sold 23 times more shares mm -hmm. than they bought. So, 
yeah, it's just an interesting environment. And, you know, if we look at what's happened, right, we've kind of seen the same thing, right? And I'm not saying that this is going to happen, and I certainly don't want it to happen, but we started seeing in the risky parts of the market, right? Small cap technology shares, it's starting to get bigger, right? Up into mid caps, big, uh, large caps. So I think that part is interesting. The other thing that's interesting is in 2000, so when the market started falling, the Wilshire large cap value index went up 17%. And as you guys know, right, the problem is that with a market cap weighted index, after years of certain shares outperforming, they make up a lot of the index, right? So the average share could go up, but the indexes go down. Mm. And that's where I'm interested to see if the market continues to go down, what happens now? Because, you know, 50% of the market's passive now. Yeah. And it was 15% back in 99, 2000. Mm. And so, what are these passive investors going to do? Mm. Yeah, And they well, will drive it lower or keep it. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. As long as Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon keep going from strength to strength, yeah. we could have a full-blown recession and passive oh, yeah. investors would go, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the thing. Like, I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I invest passively. I'm not making, you know, any sort of bet on anything. I'm like, well, you kind of are right mm. now, right? You know, you're betting on... Yeah, Apple, a company that has a market cap bigger than all the shares in Australia combined, yeah. right? Like, I, that's what you're betting on. I, I'm surprised a ETF provider hasn't done like an S&P 500X FANG ETF yeah. to give you like some exposure to the other 495 companies yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, well, there's a, uh, there's an equal weighted one. So that like. In Australia? Yeah. Yeah. I think beta shares has an equal weighted product. Yeah. I'm oh, forgetting yeah. the ticker, oh, okay. yeah. but, and that's, and yeah, so there you go. Right. You, you know, go. the 500 yeah, yeah, largest yeah. shares, the same weighting as Apple. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. So it would just be interesting to see what these passive investors do because I do both, right? So I own some passive ETFs. I own individual shares, but when you own individual shares, like, and maybe I'm being naive here, but you know, if you understand the company, you can see drops as opportunities. Um, you could hold on because you're thinking of it as a business. I just wonder how maybe some of the newer investors who are investing passively that think the market just goes up. Is there anything to hold on to? Or are they going to get spooked yeah. at a certain point? Mm. I think that would be the biggest shame if all of these retail investors got burnt and stopped investing like that yeah. that would be it's yeah. to make sure that doesn't yeah. happen <laughs> and uh just for people who uh, want to learn more about the equal weighted etf its ticket is qus yes so they yes. can google that and do their own research yeah yeah very interesting i mean we've experienced the s&p drop uh 30 but that happened in about six days and then, and then <laughs> went know. back not two and a half years yeah. so yeah. That, that's the part that i'm really interested in uh, hopefully you don't have to experience it. But yeah, what happens if it's drawn out over an incredibly long period of time? Hmm. And that brings us to chatting about psychology, uh, investor psychology. So one of the big similarities between sort of the 2000s and what feels like now is that rampant speculation, which you, you mentioned a lot of uh, retail investors just throwing cash in. You know, in 2000, it was the internet companies, which you spoke about, but now it's that crypto, Web3, everything that Ren's getting into, metaverse. <laughs> all those, so we're talking about you. Yeah, those, yeah, 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 yeah. All those projects. He keeps complaining he has no cash. It's all, uh, it's all in the metaverse. Web3. <laughs> so how do you think about the differences and similarities in investor psychology around these times? Honestly, I think it's, it's ultimately the same thing. And it has been, you know, every bubble, if this is a bubble, we'll find out. You can only find out after, right? But like every one of these runs in history, if it was the tulip 
you know, mania, South Sea bubble, like it's the same, same investor psychology. It's just sort of different tools, right? So you guys named a couple things, which I agree with, but also just the leverage in the market, right? It's so easy. So whether it's borrowing money or options or you know, there's just a lot of other ways that that you can speculate, and you know, we're all we all just follow patterns, right? That's how humans, that's how humans act. We just follow patterns, and what have you been taught? Other than obviously that very quick COVID fall, what have you been taught since the GFC? That stocks only go up, exactly, right? <laughs> so yeah, there you go. I mean, it's it's understandable. I, I think the big thing thinking about the 2000 internet bubble was that a lot of the theses weren't wrong they were just early like uh i don't know if you guys have read the hard thing about hard things by um ben horowitz um i haven't but so the andreessen horowitz the vc firm he was a ceo in the 2000s of a cloud computing company that ultimately got bought for far less than they raised out but cloud computing wasn't wrong it was just early um and similarly you know we mentioned and laugh about pets.com but selling pet food and pet supplies online wasn't wrong. It was just early. Like Pet Circle and stuff are, are doing doing it these days, Zoo Plus over in Germany. And I feel like that's what we're going to learn in this recent thing, like Web3, Metaverse. There will be some things in there, but the challenge will be like, is, are we just too early? Yeah. Like, is the technology there and is the business models there? And that's yeah. the – I think it's the interesting thing about being an investor, right, that like, you know, in my opinion – you go back and you look at certain points in history and you can see that, you know, things that change the world don't necessarily make good investments. Mm. And I think people think that there's like this direct correlation between like, you know, hey, electric vehicles are going to take off. So anything having to do with batteries, any car maker with an electric vehicle is, you know, going to be amazing. But mm. It just hasn't happened. Like, you know, and even if you go back and you look at like the railroads, yeah. right? Like at the end of the day. So the railroads changed the world. We don't appreciate it as much now, right? But you go back and you look at the railroads, they were terrible investments because all this money poured into it. Every single railroad, like everyone and their mother started a railroad company. There's all this capacity and their ability to charge people just you know, fell through the floor mm. and it turned out to be a terrible investment, but it still changed the world. Yeah. And at some point it made a lot of sense. Right. So yeah, I think it's early yeah. and realizing there isn't that direct correlation sometimes between growth and actually being a good investment. Yeah. Mm. Well, Buffett has that quote about like, uh, if a capitalist had been at, uh, Kitty Hawk, he would have shot the Wright brothers down <laughs> or something like that, because like no one's made money on airlines in the however long they've been around. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. Some, yeah, some things that are used a lot are just not good investments. Mm. So, so Mark, we want to get to uh, stock-specific stuff, but uh, one more thing, I guess, on the broader market environment was when we were talking before this interview, you mentioned you had some thoughts on the democratization of uh, of investing and, you know, that whole narrative and uh, what that means. So uh, talk us through this. What are your thoughts? Is it is it all spin or what What do you think the result will be? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's new, right? I think it's one of those things that people, you know, people keep talking about like this is a new thing. Obviously, this Robin Hood effect, right? You know, at the end of the day that I can sit there and now like what has happened? We've broken down barriers in investing. We've removed friction, which are fees, right? Somehow you can trade free in a lot of uh, a lot of situations, especially in the US. And now, you know, you can trade from your phone. So you can stand in line at the movies and, you know, trade options. 
not sure if that's healthy, but anyway. <laughs> I think I think one thing I'm thankful for in Australia is that you can't do that. Yeah. Well, it's harder to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's a good thing. So, the, so yeah, that's been democratiz democratization this time. If we go back to 2000, like it was online trading. Mm. And I don't think people yeah. appreciate, once again, this is the old man in me, you know, me sitting in my uni dorm room, being able to trade on my computer was a completely revolutionary thing because you used to have to call broker. Yeah. And so if you if you think about like the friction involved in that, like I had to call a broker and talk to the broker and then he or she had to put in the order and, you know, and you paid a lot more for that. So like that was a huge, um, you know, huge step in democratizing investing. And it also removed and just as you said, right, sometimes when you remove this friction, it's a bad thing, right? Because if I call my broker and I want to put all of my money in some like call option on some very speculative investment, he or she could talk me out of it, right? But I don't have to do that anymore. Now I could do that in 2000. I can do it on my computer. Now I can do it on my phone and I can mm -hmm. trade options and I can do all this different stuff. It's sometimes, you know, not a great thing, right? When I want to sell, there was somebody to stop me. I could call my broker and say, do you really want to do that? Yeah. I know, I know you're panicking. The market's going down, but think about it. Call me tomorrow. Like, yeah. Take some time. Now, there's nobody, right? Like I can sit there, see the market falling on my phone, just sell everything I have if I get scared. So yeah, mm. I mean, it's interesting. We'll see, yeah. sort of see how the whole thing plays out. So Mark, uh, before we start jumping into some specific stocks, we're just going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Mark, at the top of the, the show, you mentioned that Morningstar has a pretty comprehensive uh, team of analysts and uh, you pump out a lot of research on ASX-listed companies and then uh, companies uh, from around the world. And we've pulled out a, a few here to go through to really sort of unpack. And we start with one of our Equimate's major competitors, and that is News Corp. <laughs> <laughs> News Corp, you've rated as two stars, no moat, and they're trading at a 30% premium to fair value. So it was a pretty scathing assessment of news and uh, we want to hear the key reasons for this. Yeah, you know, we would call it an unbiased look at the underlying value <laughs> of the company. But um, listen, at the end of the day, we talked about this earlier, you know, what we are trying to do. So we do have star ratings. So five star shares that we think there's a biggest discount between fair value and what it's trading for. And one star, of course, is the opposite most overvalued. So if we sit there in News Corp, we're looking at 
overvalued, right? And as you said, pretty overvalued. But, you know, that's just simply a, a price mechanism, right? So that is, we think the market is overvaluing it. Um, you know, there are things that we like about it. There are certainly things we don't like about it. I think, you know, News Corp, like so many of these companies, is obviously going through a transition, mm. right? So like you guys are not going from a transition from the Equity Mates newspaper to, uh, to you know, digital way of engaging with yeah, people. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a lot of risks associated with that. And, opportunities as well. But yeah, I think that's kind of the take our analysts are, are have on it. The internal disruption at news, it's pretty interesting to watch. They're definitely late to the streaming party, but going from a Foxtel focused business to a binge and KO and they have a new streaming flash. flash? Yeah. Don't think that's going to do well. <laughs> <laughs> What's the uh, Morningstar analyst take on the internal disruption? They're like, a news corp going to be a streaming giant? Yeah, yeah. You know, streaming. Everybody's streaming, right? Like it's one of it's one of the interesting things. And I actually i I know it doesn't sound like this, but I prepared for this today by listening to a couple of your latest podcasts. Mm -hmm. So I listened to your bold predictions actually on my walk over here. Nice. So thoughts, I know you thoughts and feelings. Well, <laughs> there's a there's a bold prediction around streaming, right? Like in consolidation. So you know, I think uh, I think it will be interesting interesting to see what happens. We've gotten into this situation, right? Like, and if we talk about moats, and obviously we'll spend some more time talking about moats or sustainable competitive advantages. You know, what is it in streaming? Well, it's content, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, what is the content you actually have? And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I've got two different, what do I have? I have Netflix and Stan. And I don't really know why I actually picked those. I think my wife did, but <laughs> anyway, it's about content. That's why you're making those decisions. And you guys talked about Amazon and MGM and like, how do you get this content? You know, Netflix has spent a ton of money making their own content mm -hmm. and that's not great for business, right? Like if that's the way that all of these, I think it's an industry that does need to consolidate because, you know, everyone out there spending a ton of money on content is not good for investors, yeah. right? Like that means that there isn't a moat. They don't have a sustainable competitive advantage because they have to go out there and spend all this money. So, yeah, I think the question is, you know, we think that they've made some good gains in streaming. Um, but they've also, if you looked at their earnings, they've also sort of fallen off lately, right? Like we've, and we've seen this across, we saw this in Netflix, right? We saw this huge drop in Netflix because people are emerging from their homes again, right? And going out and doing actual activities instead of watching TV. So yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see who the winners and losers are. Like we, we think that they're decently position, but that maybe this isn't a great business yeah. overall because of all this competition. You need consolidation. Mm -hmm. Well, not they don't even have a narrow moat. You've said no moat. So. No moat. Exactly. <laughs> Tough exactly. to be exactly. News Corp. The, the best thing about News Corp is that they're a majority owner of a good business yeah. in REA Group. Yeah. No, they are. And, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, what is that? And so, you know, Obviously, in our analyst report, we sort of broke that down. And so around 20% of their earnings come from REA at this point, but still 29% come from sort of their print old school, um, you know, newspapers. Yeah, 29%. So, and that's obviously not a great business. Mm. And so I think the interesting thing, it'll be that transition, mm. right? So like, you know, they need to make up for that revenue because that will keep dropping. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's, it's hard. I guess I would say these are hard companies to invest in because there's so many moving parts and you're trying to figure out, okay, you know, 
what's going to happen to this old legacy business is the new growth business. And, you know, we've seen, I know we talked about Netflix and Netflix hasn't done well, but you know, that's that transformation Netflix went through, yeah. right. Where, you know, they were still making money. And once again, my old man stories, like I used to get the DVDs delivered to me <laughs> um, and they were still making money off of that. And they decided to like burn down that part of the business yeah, so that they yeah. could focus and, yeah, I mean, that obviously worked out pretty well, yeah, but, you know, we'll see well. what happens with News Corp. <laughs> so, Mark, uh, we'll move on from News Corp uh, to the next company we chose was Ansel. And the reason we chose that was it was the most recent company that had been given five stars. Only a narrow moat, according to the Morningstar analyst, 26% discount to fair value Talk us through it. What are the reasons for five stars? And uh, people may not be familiar with the transformation Ansel went went through the last couple of years. So maybe just explain. They also might not be familiar with what they actually do. Yeah, they make clubs. Yeah, right. Like not the world's <laughs> they most did exciting. make condoms. <laughs> yeah, well, that was that was the transformation I was referencing. Yeah, oh, yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. Sorry. Both rubber products, <laughs> exactly. uh, but just different rubber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they make gloves for like industrial uses and uh, and healthcare uses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, leaving all the, the jokes aside. <laughs> um, so yeah, once again, you know, what's happened is the share price has dropped a lot. So how have they gotten to five stars? That share price has really come off. Okay. Um, so it's down 40% since July of 2021. And really, you know, it's coming down because of margin compression. Mm. And right. And, you know, when we think about great companies, what do we want? We want big margins at the end of the day, right? So that every dollar they sell, they get to keep more. And a couple of things have happened. So number one, labor costs have gone up, freight costs have gone up, and then input co costs have gone up. So right, you make rubber gloves out of a byproduct of oil. And oil's gone up uh, a lot. Yeah. And our analyst basically thinks that this is temporary. So, you know, at the end of the day, and that's why the fair value hasn't dropped, right? Because we are looking into the future. So their margins drop from like 40% to around 35, 36%. And we think it's going to reverse. So our analyst thinks that, you know, in the next couple of years, we'll get back up to 39%. They'll pass on some of those costs to consumers. We'll see the labor market not keep accelerating. So, yeah. That's sort of the story. It's pretty crazy that a three percentage point drop in margin can translate to a 40% drop in share price. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean, we just talked about Facebook, right? Yeah. It's pretty crazy yeah, yeah. that <laughs> losing a couple active users equals whatever billions yeah. like coming the, off. Yeah. The, the other thing about Ansel is like this should be its moment. Like the world is in a healthcare crisis. Like the demand for their products will probably never be higher in terms of like the world being focused on like getting these products to hospitals and to everything. You don't like to see the fact that they're forty percent down in a moment like yeah, this. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing is like you know in the June quarter or the June uh, June reporting period, um, they uh, they grew earnings, yeah, so their right, earnings yeah. are growing, but their margin dropped. So their earnings before interest and taxes margin, EBIT margin dropped twenty five percent. Okay, so you know we had this big drop. And yeah, I think investors got spooked, right? Mm. Like, and margin's really important. Yeah. Um, so, so to close out, Mark, we've got uh, Arb Corp, ARB Corp. Uh, it's one star, narrow moat, and an eighty-nine percent premium. Uh, to fair value and a reminder for those that don't know what ARB Corp is, they make 
four-wheel drive accessories. Yeah, and one of the most hyped stocks, I reckon, of last year. So I was surprised to see it get one star. Yeah, yeah. So once again, you know, we... We think it's a good company, um, so like I will, I will say that. So you know, these star ratings. Once again, our analyst doesn't set them; it's just based. We think it's really overvalued. Yeah. And but we do think it's we do think it's a good company. Um, obviously, you know, it gets this narrow moat rating. We do think it has sustainable competitive advantage. We just think it's trading for a lot, yeah. right? So it's trading for even if we look thirty times forward earnings, right? And Google's at twenty four. So, you know, I think, and obviously very different industries, we shouldn't yeah. compare them, but still just yeah, a little yeah, perspective, yeah. Wouldn't right? be surprised right. if Google is somehow in four-wheel drive accessories. Somehow. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, part of their self-driving car division. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's the only, you know, it's been this market darling. We just think it's overpriced. Yeah, it's not that we don't yeah. think it's a good company, so. Yeah, I imagine if we had done the work and looked at a lot of the really hyped stocks, they would probably have low star ratings just as a, the nature of the value. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just sort of the approach that we take, right? So, like, our analysts try to, or don't try to, they ignore price movements, you know? I will say that there are some analysts that obviously keep an eye on what's happening and don't want to sit there and say they're 89, something's 89% overvalued, and they'll just sort of inch that up. But yeah, we try to keep that completely right. separate. So, Mark, uh, before we get to the final three questions, uh, we love a bold prediction here at Equity Mates. You said you listened to our bold prediction episode uh, before joining us today. So, uh, we want to close out this episode by asking you if you have any bold predictions for the year ahead. Yeah, you know, it, it was interesting. I, I listened to it on the walkover and I was thinking, because I already had in my head that you guys were going to ask me this. So, you know, I was kind of trying to think what mine was and walking <laughs> over, I was like, wow, your bold predictions are a lot bolder than mine. Oh, are. You, you got to go big. You got to go big. Yeah. So, so, and we <laughs> never arrived. That's the other thing. So maybe I should have been, maybe I should have been more creative, but we do this uh, on our podcast, Investing Compass. We do this like twice yearly. Shawnee and I sit down, do this twice yearly like portfolio checkup, right? Yeah. You know, we kind of want to be transparent about what we are doing. Mm-hmm. And I will say that, you know, over the past couple of years, I have been building up cash and I haven't been selling anything, but I turned off dividend reinvestment plans. Once again, these are my personal investments. I turned off dividend reinvestment plans. I, you know, new contributions I make into my accounts are just sitting in cash. And so I'm up to the point now where I'm at 25% cash. Um, And I've also, there's also been a lot of things I've owned that have been bought out. Um, So all the stuff that we hear about in Australia, um, seemingly I own everything that's been bought. So, um, (laughs) but uh, but yeah, so I I built up this cash and kind of every time we do one of these episodes, I say the same thing. I'm still looking for opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I think this year, so my bold prediction, which is really about me, is that I'm going to exit the year at less than 5% cash. So I think not necessarily that the market will crater, although I think that could happen, but I think that this volatility that we talked about is going to create a lot of opportunities, which I'm excited about. So yeah, that's that's my bold prediction. It's not it's not Twitter's getting acquired and things like that. I do like that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do yeah. too. I do too. But, uh, but yeah, that was my not so bold, bold prediction. Uh, nice. So well, well, a prediction well, that's entirely in your control. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Exactly. Yeah. Mark, we get Mark on at the end of the year, the day before. He yeah, he's like, bye, drains bye, 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 bye. his, drains yeah, yeah, his yeah, brokerage yeah, yeah. account, goes on a shopping spree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to assume that I will do something rational, but, you know, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> so before we move to the final three, you mentioned there that, Everything you own seems to get acquired. You're the uh, 
acquisition whisperer. We need to come up with a better nickname than that. Uh, but do your own Peloton. I do not. Okay. I do not. All right, so no acquisition on the horizon. It's for them. mainly it's, it's interesting because you know, as you can probably tell from my accent, I am American, um, and you know, most of my assets are still in the U.S. But you know, it, it's really this Australian. Like I've started investing in Australia. I've been here seven and a half years. I'm a citizen. I'm not going anywhere. But it seems seemingly everything in Australia that I own has been bought. Mm. You know, bingo and Sydney Airport and afterpay. After not afterpay. Okay. Not All after right. Pay. Not <laughs> after pay but yeah it's just i don't know it's just been this weird situation right we're seeing all this stuff get yeah. purchased which i guess is good but yeah. what do you do with the money keep it yeah no, <laughs> I'm, I'm not giving it away it in but, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this uh, episode hasn't been sponsored by morningstar but if people are interested in what you're talking about and getting access to the analysts and and the coverage that you do uh, or want to follow you uh, what's the best place to do so? We do have a paid subscription product called Morningstar Investor. We just rebranded that. It used to be Morningstar Premium. And yeah, that gives you access to our research. So it's 1,600 shares globally that our analysts cover, around 200 in Australia and New Zealand, um, and then 450 ETFs, funds, and bunch of tools so you get a free subscription to share site their investor plan so there's a lot there's a lot involved in that but also we have a bunch of free stuff too so you know I will say that you know I'm pretty passionate about financial literacy investor education as I know you guys are as well and so yeah we've got a podcast investing compass I do two webinars a week that are free two uh, webinars a week. yeah <laughs> Tuesday Thursday You're so I gotta hard. do one later uh, gotta do <laughs> one later today full of Michael Michael, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. so uh, so yeah I do two webinars a week so we've got a bunch of great content that we put out on our website as well so that our editorial team puts together so yeah Awesome. For anyone, hopefully nice we have resources to help you be a better investor. Yeah. Nice. We really appreciate you taking the time today. I think Bryce uh, put the challenge up early by saying you were the star of the uh, the live show we did last year, and I think you've well and truly delivered. Uh, so, well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll have to get you back before the end of the year to figure out how much cash you're holding. Yes. Uh, but before then, we'll get into the final three questions. Uh, the first one is, do you have any books that you consider must-read? Yeah, you know, there's obviously a lot of them, but the one that probably struck me the most. So Jeremy Siegel is a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, um, the Wharton School in uh, in the U.S., and he wrote this book called The Future for Investors. And it's funny, like I and I'm not that big of a nerd, but I remember where I read the book. I was sitting on this lake in Maine up on vacation. And for some reason, like what he was talking about just clicked, right? You know, I think the thing with investing is there's lots of different ways to do it successfully. There's lots of different ways to make money, but like you need to find what works for you, mm -hmm. right? Because that's the only way you'll keep at it. Like when there's volatility, what resonated with me is he was just talking about expectations and that investing is and the results that companies deliver from an investment standpoint are really just compared to what those expectations are. And it's this concept that things are priced into shares, right? And, you know, if you've got a company, if you are Tesla, right? And the expectations of the investors in Tesla are at this point, potentially they're going to sell half the cars in the world in like 10 years, right? Like the expectations are so high that the way they'll be judged and the way that share price will perform will be based on how it does compared to those expectations, not in an absolute basis, mm -hmm. right? So it's one of those things where like you can do very well on an absolute basis, but if it's priced into the share, 
you're not going to do well from an investing perspective. And so, I don't know, that really resonated with me. And so, you know, what I always try to do when I look at a share, I'm like, what does the market think is going to happen? And sometimes it's a company that the market thinks is going to do terrible and it just does a little less terrible and it's actually <laughs> a decent investment. So, yeah, I just think that that's interesting. That's nice good. one. Yeah, good, like good that. recommendation. Uh, second question, what is the best company you've ever come across? Okay, I feel like I have a good one for you guys here. So, you know, I didn't want to do anything, you know, didn't want to do anything too boring here, but uh, but I'm going to go with Philip Morris International. Yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, Controversial, but yeah, good pick. Yeah. yeah, so like the ESG crowd is probably <laughs> gathering with torches. I don't know if there's a back entrance to your studio, but um, so Philip Morris International makes and sells cigarettes. Um, and, you know, the question you asked was not what is the most ethical company yeah. in the world, but what is the best company? Yeah. And I just, I just want to talk about it because I think it, to me, this is what we should look at in shares. So, you know, number one, what is the company or what do we want to look for in a company? There's obviously, they sell goods, right? Every company sells a good or service. That's important. They want to grow those. There's the margin, right? How much do they get to keep? Mm. So that's really important. And then finally, um, we have money that's invested in the company, not your money, the company's money, right? So money that they generate through free cash flow, money they borrow, money they raise in equity markets, what return do they get on that? And Philip Morris is off the charts, right? So like if we look at margin and there's all sorts of different margins we can use, but if we just use, you know, gross margin, right? So that's sales and cost of goods sold, right? So theirs is 65%. So, right, the S&P 500 is at 40%. Google, which is outstanding, is at 56%. Mm. So it's just crazy, right, that they keep a lot of money. Then there's this return on invested capital, right? So what return are they getting on what they invest in the company, it's over 50%, which is like unheard of, yeah. right? And like the S&P 500 is 8% yeah. and Google 16%. And, you know, we've got a wide moat rating on it. And, you know, why is it a wide moat? Well, number one, you know, their product's addictive. That helps. <laughs> um, but also just like they've got this brand, Marlboro, that nobody can do anything about now because mm-hmm. there's no advertising. Nobody's starting new cigarette companies. Yeah. And they've got really great cost. Like, so they have driven down costs so much that, you know, and I don't even know what a package of cigarette costs right now to buy, but they make a package of cigarettes for 47 cents US. Bryce, you know what a deck of darts costs, don't no, you? No, no. <laughs> so, I actually have no idea. <laughs> yeah, so you may not, listen, from an ESG perspective, you may not want to invest in it, but yeah, it's a great company, yes. like from an operation yeah. standpoint. Yeah. Isn't Philip Morris also known as like the best investment of like the last hundred years or something? It is. I didn't want to mention it twice, but you know, it's in that Jeremy Siegel book. Okay. Yeah. And he's talking about low expectations because of obviously everything going on in tobacco. There you I go. just didn't want to keep talking about it. I think people are obsessed with uh, Philip Morris. <laughs> well, everyone should go and read that book and not buy cigarettes, but look at the story of Philip Morris because it is a fascinating one. But final question, uh, Mark, if you think back to your younger self, maybe sitting out on that lake uh, in Maine, (laughs) trying to learn about investing, uh, what advice would you have for your younger self? Yeah. So, you know, kind of quickly, I was thinking you guys were going to ask me, like, what was my first investment ever? Mm. 
We normally oh, do, we do, but we yeah. had so much to cover, yeah, we cut yeah. it. So, you can tell us right well, now. No, it's, kind, it's kind of part of that. So it's two different investments. So number one, during the dot-com bubble, me sitting in my uni dorm room, I bought Global Crossing, right? So Global Crossing is a company that went bankrupt. So that's the end of the story. But um, <laughs> but basically, you know, the internet's blowing up. The Everyone's going to use the internet. It's going to change the world. So this is a theme, a narrative. And what did Global Crossing do? They built the infrastructure for that, right? The, they laid all the cables and everything else that supported internet. So I thought this is a perfect investment, right? Like this is the best thing to do. Well, what I didn't do was any homework to realize that a ton of money flowed into that space. They had all these competitors and they laid all of this cable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think when the company went out of business, like of all the cable that was laid in the world, like five, 6% of it was being used. And this glut, this glut actually led to a lot of the companies that have done really well now, right? The fact that you could deliver, ultimately, you could deliver content over the internet cheaply was because there was this glut, mm-hmm. right? So if we think about YouTube and Facebook and Netflix and all of these companies, it was because of all this investment. But it was a terrible, terrible decision from an investment perspective because it went out of business. And then my wife was given shares when she was two years old. So the oldest thing that we own we was purchased, not obviously by her, but in 1981. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, 40 years old, 41 years old, and I'm 42 years old. So it's almost as old as me. And so it's ADP. Um, so ADP is a company where basically you outsource, um, you know, payroll and things like that. And so, you know, I went and looked in my account to see what this is. So yeah, we've got a cost basis on those shares of a dollar twelve. It was trading at two hundred and eight dollars yesterday. <laughs> and it's paying four dollars and sixteen cents in dividends per year. Yeah, wow. So like four times what the cost basis is. And so I think, you know, the lesson is that being an investor, think long term yeah. and, you know, let those and we have a wide mode on it, let those you let your investments accrue over time and compound over time, and that sometimes the story out there, this narrative that makes really sense, that makes a lot of sense maybe on the surface, isn't a great investment. So dig a little deeper. Yeah. Wow. I think that's great advice. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Great way to finish. And Mark, as Ren said, you've absolutely delivered uh, on the high expectations that we set as investors. We set really high expectations for your future performance on our podcast. So. <laughs> okay, well, that is good. That is good. <laughs> no, I loved it, and uh, I think our audience would have taken a lot of value from that. And uh, you know, certainly, we'll be helping them understand what's happening in markets at the moment, and hopefully. Uh, make them feel a little bit more comfortable about the volatility that we're seeing. So um, thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you, guys. It's been fun. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you. So drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, go to your podcast player and leave a five-star review. Also, a reminder that the Equity Mates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. 
The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.